0: This is the Education Gadfly Show.
1: End of discussion. I dropped the mic right there. Huh? Yeah, I think, I
0: think... uh... (laughs)
2: David's not going to let you go that quickly.
1: What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at at excellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-hosts, the Michigan Wolverines of education reform, Alyssa Schwenk and David Griffith.
2: You know, here I thought you were going to go with a reference that mocked Duke or was about South Carolina, but that was short-sighted of me. Yeah, come on. This is
1: a chance for me to celebrate uh, my Michigan Wolverines, playing some great basketball, making it into the Sweet 16, part of this amazing uh, Big Ten crew that is going pretty far, crushing the ACC Except for Roberts, North Carolina. They're hanging in there. It kind of kills me that Robert may still win the Fordham Institute office pool by picking North Carolina because his daughter goes there.
2: Well, my final was Villanova versus uh, Wichita State. So I am not winning the pool. I mean, Alyssa, Wichita State? Really? I thought they were going to go on a streak and I was going to be like hailed as a genius in retrospect. That
1: was bold. (laughs) That was.
0: I continued to protest the entire annual ceremony by not participating. I know. That's really (laughs) sad for you.
1: I saw something, you know, uh, 73% of Americans say they look forward to going to work more because of March Madness, uh, participating in March Madness. So you would be, this would help. We are the
0: 27%. Come
1: on. Come on. Debbie Downer's out there. All right. Go blue. Still got some (laughs) tough games ahead of us. But hey, hey, excited. We've we've made this far. It's going to be a good week. All right, but we're not here. We're we're not a we're not a basketball podcast. We're not a March Madness podcast. We are an education reform podcast and now it's time for Ed Reform Update. All right, guys. We are going to talk about the president's budget. Woohoo. Okay. And and the reason is everybody else is talking about it, so I feel compelled <laughs> that we have to talk about it too. I think that's a fair reason. Question number one. Should people out there care at all about the president's budget? David, Alyssa? I would say yes. Oh, interesting! Yes. That goes against the conventional wisdom because the conventional wisdom is it is but a recommendation, which True. will be completely ignored by the folks on Capitol Hill. True, L.
2: and it will. But I think people should care about it because I think it's insightful about you know what a president is thinking through, etc. I don't think it will get passed. That was not the question.
1: Okay, all right. So if, for example, somebody is worried about some of the funding cuts proposed, or excited about some of the new choice programs proposed, they should be neither. Uh, too freaked out nor too excited at yeah. this point. They should be holding their breaths. Uh and David, what do you think?
0: I, I am going to go with the conventional wisdom here. Yeah. Um people should not care. Yeah. Yeah. So this, <laughs> I tried to think of something more interesting to say, but th- there it is.
1: Yeah, David's right on this one. They should not care at all. Listen, so that You're now, just I, mellow this week. Look, th- this I'm is mellow. what I told this is what I told the state superintendents this week. I got to speak on a panel along with Lily and Randy from the NEA and the AFT, uh, mm-hmm. which was cool. And Gerard from uh, from AEI. And Eric from EWA. And e e e e W.A. Roblin. it was It was star-studded, indeed. All-star. Gerard, DCP. who uh, had had a hurt shoulder, which gave him the reason, excuse for why he had to wear sunglasses up there. Mostly, he just looked like, you know, Mr. Cool Cat. And then Eric Roblin, who's like a rock star.
2: He so, actually was at mile 10 when I did the half marathon yeah, a few weeks and ago.
0: And that our section on the
2: budget. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Point is, see, we're not talking about the budget because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Although Randy and Lily, of course, were saying it matters. They're trying to rally their troops and get people, you know, up in arms about this. That's fine. And look, If you're worried about these cuts, if you're an advocate, uh, you got to go up there, Capitol Hill and and make your case. So I get that. All right. So probably not going to happen, but let's talk substance. Nobody actually wants to talk about the substance. And here's where I really want to ask my my friends and colleagues here, David, Alyssa, I know you might be a bit to my left on some of these (laughs) issues. So let me ask you this. What is the substantive argument for, for example, the 21st Century Learning Centers program, one point two billion dollars? Note, I did not say the argument for providing uh, after-school or summer school programs to poor kids. There's a strong case for that. But why does the federal government have to pay for this? Why can't local school districts or states or mayors or counties pay for this sort of thing?
0: I can answer that question because it is extremely <laughs> difficult to execute a handoff, right? In practice. I mean, it, it's not, you simply can't take something out of the federal budget and, make it magically appear in districts all over the country. So I am saying I agree with you.
1: So there'd be a transition period where <laughs> there, there might be a dropped handoff. But that's it. That's the best you got. Yeah. Right. Okay. We should do it I, I because will, we've we've push, done it. And, and that's the only I argument? will push back on this.
2: this pro, the areas that need these programs most are frequently the ones with weakest tax base. locally mm-hmm. So it would be tough for a poor rural district to offer the sort of after school programming that is frequently needed to keep kids safe and to provide them with the extended academic support they yeah. need, but for the federal government. And but, I'd make but, the same case
1: in urban areas as what, well. What about states? But about states, you, there's an, there's this thing in between called a state. If they care about their poor areas, they can fund this. Right. I mean, look, I, I just, I think this is a clear case where at some point somebody was very smart to get a bunch of federal money for after school and summer school programs. And now that we've been doing it for a decade or whatever, it's hard to stop.
0: Doing yeah. I look, I'm a centrist on this, Mike. I mean, I, there are rich States and poor States, you know, it is not as dramatic as the difference between neighborhoods within a city by any means. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do think there's a role for the federal government, you know, to, to an equity role for the federal government. All right. So I got a deal. Yeah. We'll just
1: stop giving these grants to the rich states. That's fine. I'd, I, I'd we'll, be okay with that. Yeah. So we would just give it to the poor states? Yeah. What oh, about- which are, by the way, mostly Republican leaning and, you know, so the in the heartland, that's fine. We'll just give them the money and we'll stop giving the money to New York. There
2: are poor areas of New York, I would argue.
1: But they've got plenty of tax money that they can use at the state level. All right. Uh, what about Title II? Title II. We're talking about $2 billion. Yes. Okay, for teacher stuff, there's like a list of two dozen things that states and districts can do with this money. Some of for which- For teacher stuff. For teacher stuff. Teacher and stuff. much of it sounds pretty good. It, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. a lot of innovative stuff. And then you look into where, whatever the latest evaluation and the reports are, and you yeah. find out what do they actually spend the money on? You know what they're spending the money on? Teacher salaries. Teacher salaries. Almost entirely. Teacher salaries. So let me ask a question again. Why should the federal government be paying teacher salaries?
2: Well, let me point out again that several rural states have pointed out that it's difficult to pay teachers competitive salaries and keep them in the rural states, if not for the Title II money.
1: Oh, come on. No, listen, this is not making... I did $2 billion out of uh, $650 billion nationwide. This is fairy dust here, right? This is... All this is doing is, is decreasing class size from, you know, 26 to 24, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and look, make the argument that's an essential need. But really, isn't that something, again, that if Iowa really wants to keep its class sizes at 24, cough up a little bit of extra money?
2: now i would use david's argument that it is tough to magically take something out of the federal government's budget and just make sure that mm-hmm. states do it and i would also argue that several state governments are even more conservative than congress right now so getting them to redistribute wealth because that is what you're asking them to do i would argue would be politically mm-hmm. unlikely
0: listen I'll, I'll turn on my inner radical here a little bit uh, <laughs> you, you're right like look the you know, me, even though
2: me no, me,
1: me, or you know, you're definitely not. No, I, I would like to be right. Why here. don't we just stop there, David? We had this discussion before. When you said <laughs> to me, "You're right," that's a good place to end the podcast. Now go ahead. Right, wait, wait.
0: But I mean, look, I, the, the evaluations of these things are not that strong, right? I mean, frequently when when you you look at the actual impact studies, it's the evidence is incredibly mixed, and that leaves you in sort of a tough place if you think that poor kids deserve help and the sort of intent of these programs is good. Um, You know, I would argue that something like, for example, early childhood, right? We ought to be reforming rather than cutting. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of these others, you know, I think think the other thing that probably is just rubbing people the wrong way is the context of it, right? I mean, we're eliminating or downsizing literally hundreds of things to pay for a a marginal increase in defense, right? Um, so you can question almost any item in the government's budget and you will not find a randomized controlled trial proving that it is cost effective. That's true. So. Uh, and, and,
1: and yes, in many of the federal programs in education there, it's about formula funds. And look, mm-hmm. I think the good government approach is to say, hey, we believe in money following the child as much as possible. We, we certainly agree that poor kids have greater needs and cost more to educate. Uh, and so the federal government, it's appropriate to provide extra money for poor mm-hmm. kids. So ideally what you do is you put all the money into title one, you just, you know, which is mm-hmm. very targeted and mm-hmm. the targeting has improved yep. uh, from, you know, recent decades. Mm-hmm. Put the yep. money in title one and get rid of all the other stuff, you know, instead of these specialized programs in K-12, get rid, you know, and if, if a title one school wants to spend its title one money on lowering class size or on after school programs, fine, boom, done. End of discussion. I dropped the mic right there. Huh? Yeah, I think, I think...
0: Uh,
2: David's not going to let you go that quickly.
0: Yeah, well, no, I'm not going to... I am going to let him go that quickly. I just, I don't think that we hear that message often enough from conservatives, yeah. right? I mean, I think that's not what's coming across to people, yeah. uh, is is not what you just said. I think it what they're hearing is cuts, and yeah. I, I'm going to have to dig yeah. into it some more, but I mean... I don't know that that is necessarily what's being proposed, right? So,
1: Well, they are there increasing is, Title One. There, there is, they're yeah. increasing yeah. And, and Title I. they did not one. cut and Title one. That, that was That's important, right? Yeah. When they cut so much else, right? They, and they're cutting the NEA and they're cutting the NEH and they're cutting, uh you know, NPR and everything else. I told this joke yesterday. I heard a guy who uh, runs Arts for America. He's in this band in D.C. And there's like a guy from from the NEA, the arts NEA, from the NEH, from NPR. They're thinking about calling themselves the basket of defundables. So that was pretty good. Yeah. Oof. Really? Oof. No, no laugh. No laugh. I killed At- I killed it of the state superintendents. They loved it. I'm apparently a tough crowd today. Oh my God. All right. Well, so uh, in conclusion, neither David nor Alyssa can come up with compelling arguments for keeping uh, these federal programs. And yet we all agree that they will be kept nonetheless. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that is all the time we've got. For Ed Reform Update, now it's everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. It's been, it feels like months since you've been on the so show.
3: Long. <laughs> I've, been, I've been missed, right? I, you what? have been Wait, missed.
2: Although, in Amber's defense, she was on it one week that you were not oh, okay. on it.
1: I, I was thinking about handing this over to David, just permanently, <laughs> be, you know, to be David's research minute.
3: Well, you know, it's, it's really nice to have a rock star substitute.
1: Yes, and that is true. And uh, <laughs> I will say, I think I just got him to agree that uh, a lot of these Federal programs that the president wants to cut are superfluous.
3: Really, really big move. Really, I'd like I... I'd like to hear I'd like to hear more. I'm sure he'll tell me more later. Well,
1: <laughs> if we you know increased other programs like Title One, maybe. Yes. So I do have to ask you, Amber, are you rooting for UNC?
3: I am not. Well, you know, I had Louisville winning the whole thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> I had Villanova, and I had Duke. So, <laughs> you know, here we are.
1: Yeah. All right. Excellent. But do you have? I mean, you have.
3: My you dad have, lives in North Carolina, so. I I do have yeah. a fondness and I used to teach in North Carolina, yeah. so right. yes mm-hmm. um, yeah. I would be uh, I'm on board with them. All right. I am. All right.
1: There we go. No, the right answer is Michigan.
3: Go, early. come on, baby. At this point,
2: my rolling. bracket is so busted that yeah. I will just root you know, for you whatever. Were like team. on
3: top one day, a- and I have got like gone.
2: I think twenty nine out of yeah. thirty two picks right in the first it. round, yeah. Yeah. and in the second round, which is sixteen games, I think I've gotten five right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's bad. How the mighty fall. Yes. Okay, Amber, what you got for us?
3: I have a new study out by Calder. Uh, we all know that CTE is just the new thing. Um So they have a study that examines the modern career academies
0: Ooh. and how
3: they attract uh, and who they attract, basically, and what are their causal impacts. Okay? So recall that there was this great big seminal lottery-based research from MDRC. <laughs> on career academies, it's been about a decade ago, which At really least, seems yeah. like it's, I didn't think it'd been that long. Yeah. So they did a bunch of studies on the career academies in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Just a little quick reminder, they found no effects for high school graduation or initial college outcomes, but they did find that males in particular had higher salaries over the long term and they were more likely to form and sustain families. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Huh. yeah higher cool
1: marriage rates and more likely to have uh, custody of their kids.
3: Really that, neat. Yeah. Okay. Needs research. Yeah. The authors here suggest that since then, we really haven't had much rigorous research on career academies, in part due to this new emphasis on college and career readiness and the fact that we had this economic recession. And it means that basically they say we need a new generation of experimental research on the latest CTE career academies Mm -hmm. and models. So guess what? Here it is. I love it. All right. So they examine career academies in Wake County. Uh, it has 20, I don't know much about Wake County, but apparently they have 20 career academies and 14 high schools, which is a lot. Um, for the descriptive part of the analysis, they examine all first-time ninth graders in 2014-15 and 2015-16. They find that, and this is a little surprising, career academy enrollees are less likely to be minority, more likely to be male, and are higher achieving than their peers within the same schools who did not enroll in the career academy. Mm, that is this is not your, and your, encouraging your grandfathers.
1: The, the, the achievement piece, I think, is, is encouraging. That's right. It's yeah.
3: attracting, you know, sort of a different type of student. Mm-hmm. For the causal analysis, they examine outcomes for just one large career academy called Apex Academy of Information Technology. Heard of this one. Have you? Yeah. Um, they admit students by lottery, and they've done that since 2009 because they get about twice as many applications as they have seats, so they're able to approximate a randomized control trial and identify causal impacts of participation in the career academy on a bunch of measures. Okay, uh, it's about 500 students in the final sample. All right, uh, and and you want to know like a little bit about what they do, like just a little bit, right? So Apex mm-hmm. Academy has the the their biggest thing is they have a technology paid internship for all juniors. Mm-hmm. So That's they, why kids want to do. They that. have yep. to go out in the out research triangle. In the mm-hmm. research triangle. Um, and they have a four-year sequence of IT courses. They have to take this pretty elaborate sequence of courses and they give them a bunch of soft skills training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how to work in a workplace, I'm guessing. Uh, lots of causal findings. Number one, analysts find that enrolling in Apex increases the likelihood of graduating from high school by about eight percentage points. Ooh, pretty, wow. yeah, pretty good. Mostly driven by the impacts on males. Mm-hmm. The Academy also increased the likelihood of college attendance within one year of graduation by about eight percentage points. Mm-hmm. Huh, also good. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Uh, it had no impact on the type of college <coughs> enrolled. Okay. Overall, this effect on college, again, is driven mostly by males. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shows that about 90% of male attenders in the Career Academy will attend college versus about 78% of their non-academy male counterparts. It's pretty That's impressive. Even the
1: ones that applied to this. That's right. Yeah,
3: And the Career Academy also reduced the number of absences for a typical ninth grader by about 1.4 days. All right, now for what it didn't do. No effect of APEX enrollment on academic achievement mm-hmm. on average or for specific subgroups as measured by the ACT, mm-hmm. because North Carolina is one of those states where the, all high school juniors have to take the ACT. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nor is there impact of APEX enrollment on AP course taking or on the passing the AP exams. Mm-hmm. Right. So kind of a mixed bag. Analysts and summarizing the research say our evidence suggests that boys responded to this technology rich applied academic setting of Apex Academy while girls did not. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the study just focused on this one career academy. We can't apply it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada. Um, but I mean, I guess what I was struck by because they went through this pretty extensive literature review at the beginning and they were talking about how this, um, research in, oh, I think it was Charlotte Mecklenburg was mm-hmm. uh, it was a public school lottery there and yep. they found that a lot of the impacts were sort of you know benefiting girls more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now we have one benefiting boys more and then you start thinking about the larger choice research which is what you've brought up mike before that sometimes we see some of these interventions benefiting African and males or disadvantaged students mm-hmm. We're beginning to see, I think, a pattern in the literature that says, you know, what we have some nuance findings about the types of choices and programs that potentially benefit certain types of kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yep. pretty cool. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, you know, it is important to say that you can't apply this to other schools, right. and in the fact that it is, uh, you know, that in Wake County they're attracting high achievers mm-hmm. is very encouraging. Perhaps mm-hmm. unusual, although maybe not. I mean, this is certainly I've become convinced that uh, mm-hmm. you got to be pretty darn high achieving to succeed in in these new CTE. Programs, mm-hmm. I think it's it's also important to say these randomized experiments. You know, it, these it, you can only assume that they might have similar findings for other schools that are oversubscribed enough,
3: mm-hmm. right?
1: To need a lottery. That's right. All right, and yeah. so that's important as well. And then this thing about not finding test score impacts at high school I mean, isn't it just hard for high schools to move the needle on student achievement?
3: Well, yeah, especially at the high school level, right? <laughs> I mean, just, I mean not, of, there's
1: not a lot of time, right? Yeah. I mean, whatever they're measuring between ninth grade and eleventh grade, and you know, kids oh, are yeah. kind of fully baked by then. It's well, just hard to, I mean,
3: which is sad, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's
1: just you know, I mean, whereas you know, well, so these better, I mean, it seems like better measures for high schools, or right. are they better tests? More kids right. into college, I would like to know whether uh, the kids have better success completing college. And Mm -hmm. I guess what, they don't don't, have those data yet. yet.
2: I will say something that struck me was something that seemed like it probably confirms what we found in our study of CTE last Mm -hmm. year, which it sounded like the program and the curricula was really locked down Mm -hmm. in terms of the kids all get a, a research internship at the end to me, that sounds like there's probably some sequencing of the courses to build to something which leads to career. Um, and it's not just, you know, a career class here or a career cl-
3: class right. there. It's like, like they're not just doing cogent, exactly. a cogent bag. Exactly. We call that concentration. Yes. Right. A concentrated sequence. So, yeah, yeah I yeah. think that's a really good point because sometimes when these programs aren't organized that way and mm-hmm. kids just kind of take a smattering of this or mm-hmm. that, um, we don't see those, those same effects. Mm-hmm.
1: Some evidence that these kids were engaged. A word that we care a lot about yes, around here, we do. and we'll be looking into. <laughs>
3: In the future. <laughs> we don't ben, know. Ben, ben, I, ben, you know ben, what ben. I was curious about? Or like who are these teachers, which is another point mm-hmm. Checker yeah. brings up yeah. when we start talking about some programs like these dual enrollment and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, are these like practicing people in industry teaching yeah. these things? Um mm-hmm. but yeah. you would think so, yeah. right? Yeah. In, in in the area where it's located. So Did cool. they go into it all. Sorry,
2: one last question. Was it is it a like smaller school within a larger high school, like it the small is. schools? Mm.
3: It is. It's just like they're in one part of the building and then there's everybody else. yeah so. very cool.
1: Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Amber. Sure, thank I love it. That's all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwing. And I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off.
0: The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.